0: Welcome to the New Books Network
1: hey, this is Rebecca Buchanan, host of New Books Network: New Books in Popular Culture, And today I'm here with Simon Strange, who is the author of Blank Canvas: Art School Creativity From Punk to New Wave. Simon, thanks for being here with me today.
2: Ah, oh, thanks for inviting me, Rebecca. Yeah, it's my pleasure.
1: Could you start out by um just sharing a little bit about why how this book came to be? Why you wanted to sort of examine blank canvas and write about sort of this um art colleges and art school with punk to new wave?
2: Big yeah, good question. Um I think it's uh from my from my it was a, one of those things from my background in I come from all kinds of different musical backgrounds. So my parents are classical musicians. I was brought up in, I was born in 67. So I came through like the 70s, through punk, new wave, post-punk. And I, so being brought up with that, then working in the music industry as a player and a producer, and then going into academia, I was kind of struck by the kind of the distance between them. So that I, yeah, I kind of had my industry side of music and I had my academic side of music and I thought they would mash match up very closely but they didn't really and it was like it was I think it was from that really and I started I started trying to work out why what what was going on there and that really took me back to kind of the art school idea about all these bands coming through art school and then it got me into the idea when I was Like working in music departments, kind of going, okay, how can I, what can I, what was it about that period in the 60s and 70s and art school specifically, and mainly the UK, but other places? And what was it about those, the teaching that really kind of led to creativity in musicians? Because that's what I was, I mean, I've always been, as a producer, player, always interested in creativity from people that can play and can't play. So As a producer, I work with very, very great musicians and people that can't play. So, and I, I like that interconnection. And I saw art school was liking that interconnection. I think from my interviews into it, that was that was sort of born out. Really, that it's not just about a non-musician, as I have a chapter about all a musician. It's about a kind of wider conceptual artistic thing. And I try to bring that into my. Um, into my teaching in, in, in lots of different ways. So I was kind of trying it out, I suppose, for like 20 years, probably before, <laughs> before I did my PhD, which I finished about three or four years ago. And then I kind of ripped apart my PhD and turned it into the book. So I kind of did a lot of interviews and really kind of played around with what I had. had, a little bit more playful than my PhD, I think, I
1: hope. <laughs> Which is always a good thing, right?
2: It was always a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I was, I think I was always interested in the, in the book more, because I'm an older PhD student. I was like, the PhD was a thing, but it was more of a kind of chance to have that time to explore this and then write about it. Really, the book was almost started before I did my PhD. So,
1: so before we kind of get into, um, you've divided this in kind of three parts. And before we get into that, can you talk a little, you mentioned briefly, but sort of what you did, you did a lot of interviews, sort of sort of how you went about um, kind of doing this work and investigating. I guess investigating is the word I'll use, but sort of looking into this, um, sort of who you chose to talk to and, and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. It was
2: really, there was a lot of um, chance and serendipity. And I kind of, in a way, those are some of the ideas that I think from art school anyway, but my... I just I the first couple of people were from like Bath School of Art, where I am in in the UK. And then I kind of Brian, Eno always rose his head somewhere in the in the idea behind what I was trying to do at the start. And I was looking for his teacher. And so I went on LinkedIn, put in the name of Roy Ascot, Eno's teacher, and his address popped up. And it was like the road next to me in Bristol. So I was just like... And that was... I literally, about two hours later, walked to the... Road, to, to Knocked on his door, and we had an interview. So <laughs> so that was... And he's amazing. He's amazing. Like, Roy Ascot is 86. He's... You know, Brian... If you, if you read Brian Eno, Roy Ascot is really hit the key person. The same for Pete Townsend from The Who as well, and Freddie Mercury and other people. So he was a really key guy, and he worked with people like Richard Hamilton and and Victor Parsmore at Newcastle. So he's a really very key guy. So he basically opened the doorway to everyone. And I just took a, I suppose in academia, you call it a snowball effect. I went from one to the other, to the other, to the other. So I basically went to Gavin Bryars after Roy Ascot, because he knew Gavin closely. Gavin opened it up for Brian you know it basically I was almost like a phone call from a phone call from a phone call so I'd be having lunch with Gavin Bryce so I'll just phone him I'll phone him and we'll organize it and it just went like that what I found that I was interviewing a lot of white men so so you know which is the easy kind of thing to do, really. In that, in that scenario, you know, there is a lot of white men in that story, but there is also a lot of a lot of women, and you know, a lot of kind of diversity in there. It just takes a bit more kind of sourcing. So Lucy O'Brien, who you know, great author, just written a book on Karen Carpenter, written a book on Madonna. She she connected me to like the raincoats and slits and all that kind of field. So, yeah, I just, yeah, that so the interviews kind of spread out from the kind of briny, you know, blokes of the kind of early 70s to the sort of that very slits, raincoats based thing later on, but also had some random, random things like Keith Levine from Public Image Limited, who sadly died a few, few months ago. He, I think he contacted me somehow. I just and he just yeah, he just wanted to talk basically. So we we had about a three hour conversation. Not much of it about music. I suppose some of it was. A lot of it was about Bitcoin and stuff. But um, and but he's you know he was a guy who didn't go to art school, but was very art school in his approach. And that's you know I interviewed people that didn't go to art school. So people like him, like Stephen Malander from Cabaret Voltaire, he didn't go to art school, even though Richard H. Kirk from Cabaret Voltaire did. Um, yeah, and then the final one there's, um, was Bill Drummond from the KLF. He wrote me a play, so he I basically sent him an email, and then he kind of yeah, he just wrote me a play, and then he turned it into a book.
1: I did love that. I was like, that's sort of awesome.
2: It was yeah, it was quite mad. He he literally he's he's written a book called Paint, and he's written a book called Paint to go on blank canvas, and it's like. He's got my emails in his book. <laughs> so yeah, he was obviously, you know, he was, he was, yeah, he was, he was a really interesting story about, you know, when you tease out the story about what he was saying about art school, it was really, really interesting. I think.
1: So you start out right. So you divided this, and you have these sort of four um, aspects that you look at. But you start out by sort of grounding us in art school and so can we talk a little bit about that and let's start with kind of Bauhaus um and you sort of talk about that so so can we talk about that ground like sort of those spaces that you're kind of that came before that you're grounding this work that you're doing in
2: yeah yeah I think the Bauhaus I've always been fascinated by the art side of the Bauhaus and it's it was really just a kind of Exploring where that that turn of the century kind of changes happen. So really lead, you know, leading from the kind of um um that sort of change into more conceptual art, getting away from the more romantic idea of our art. So looking into Bauhaus and really it's so contemporary in its kind of outlook in so many ways. The, um, so I looked at the the first person looked at was a guy called Johann Itten, who's fascinating spiritualist kind of teacher. Took a lot of Zen meditation things, and he, in a way, he was the one that the idea about blank canvas came from because he was really looking at students and looking at kind of stripping back what they learned through their school and going back to childhood. So that idea about child art, about the back, you know, the fact just trying to get rid of all that kind of the, almost like the noise that happens to you and kind of restricts a lot of, he felt restricts a lot of your creativity. So at the start of sessions, he do things like breathing exercises, meditation, and get students into that, try and get away from their kind of taught and learnt experiences from their sort of secondary schooling. And that kind of idea really followed for it was carried on by um joseph albez and other teachers not in a spiritual way maybe but they, they there's definitely that idea that then went off into black mountain college in the states um and on to john cage and i really like that thread from like johann Itten through um Albers to to john cage is that very much the idea of still seeing that same idea so you know Format 33 of Silence is really from the Bauhaus it's really from those ideas about kind of stripping back everything and Kandinsky and people like that I mean amazing teachers to have at the Bauhaus people like Paul Clay and Kandinsky as teachers I really like that idea actually about having these amazing high level teachers at at university you know with having Cage at um Black Mountain College and Kandinsky and people like that at um at the Bauhaus, Maholi nagy It's just like, you know, some of the greats of the kind of art art world as were, were teachers.
1: Well, and it was interesting to me too that so you have all these great teachers, and you there's also um, you talk about John Dewey a bit as well, who kind of sort of, and I thought that was really interesting that um, John Dewey's work on education kind of also imp- right there's the spiritual thing, but there's these sort of ways that which people who talk about education have impacted and influenced um, these teachers as they sort of move in and, and create these spaces and areas.
2: Yeah, yeah. That constructivist kind of ideas. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Black Mountain was built on on Dewey's on Dewey's ideas. So I think it was Charles Olson who was the, um, the principal seen by a lot. of people was the first postmodernist and way Dewey is that idea about kind of breaking down barriers and kind of like seeing how things can be constructed without without borders. And I think that's really, I mean, Black Mountain College was amazing for that. There was elements of the Bauhaus of that freedom, but there was, it was much more at Black Mountain College where like, you know, the students and the tutors built the place together. You know, you'd have a, they'd, they'd eat together, they'd find the food together, they'd, they'd have, you'd have a tutorial by the fire, you'd have it anywhere you want. So it was, it was very much like life as art, art, as life manifested in that, in that place, so, it was, yeah, an incredible kind of art experience, but not all of it was good. Obviously, there's lo- loads of issues having a kind of um, open kind of open sesame kind of a university like that, you know.
1: So you have this right. So you ground it in this and then we really look at what's going on in the UK and, and- um, this idea of what's happening in the 60s and 70s and, and kind of this, the point that you call zero year um, with music. And so can you talk then about um, kind of what you then see really going on in the 60s and 70s in UK, art colleges and art schools at this time that helps you kind of lead into the ways in which you define your blank blank canvas?
2: Yeah, I mean, it was... It was uh, through the Coldstream um, sort of reforms. Art was kind of, art education in the UK, it was, it was struggling, but it was kind of, um, it was very, very regulated. And weirdly, they decided to make it more regulated, but they made it more regulated in a way that opened it up to individual, it was almost like a, a piece of luck. There was, a, there, was a lot, there was a lot of kind of um, art schools. I think it was 128 art schools in the UK in the 19, early 1960s. And it was just they kind of um, through the cold stream, they gave they brought in these rules, but they they opened up the possibility that individual the way you looked at these rules and the way you utilize them could be individually assigned, which is brilliant. And it it meant that you had some great colleges and you had some terrible ones, but you had this kind of um but it really meant, it meant that you could have that kind of feel of a faculty or feel of a university from the people that were in charge. So people like Roy Ascot and um, Hamilton and Passmore at Newcastle, they started kind of really playing with the idea of art school and having it as a very expressive, artistic kind of like laboratory you know they they talked about it as being studios being laboratories and i think that's again that's what ascot brought in when he went to ipswich that eno picked up that idea art could be anything it's about experimentation about innovation you can bring in science you can bring in philosophy it's about just really kind of like exploring everything so i think it really took away that romantic idea of art and kind of like, you know, conceptual art became a very key, key thing. Um, Ascot was very much into the idea of cybernetics and computers and systems theory. So, yeah, it was, he used to, you know, he used to kind of, his lectures were very much, he. he there's about, I think he used to have like personality tests. So instead of doing like, you know, thought he'd turn up to art school and it'd be about painting, He said, I thought I'd be painting like a a Mudrian and stuff like that. But what it was, was like, he was, they were split into pairs and they were kind of, they were told to create and develop uh, a personality test. This is the kind of thing I actually do with students as well. And they had to create like, there was 18, 36 people in the group. So they created 18 personality tests and they got everyone to take this personality test. And then for a whole term, people had to be the opposite of that personality. So Eno used to talk a lot, so he had to be silent. Townsend was very lively, so he was put in a trolley and wheeled around. He couldn't, wasn't allowed to move with his own volition. You know, it's that idea, if you're going to blank canvas, about breaking down what you've had done before. Again, it's all just about breaking barriers and getting away from the norm. And that's what Eno carried forward into his production, you know, when people would, would play with oblique strategy kind of cards and playing with wrong hand you know playing left hand instead of right-handed playing with one stick you know it's again that comes from the Bauhaus where they used to do that with a lot of painting with your with your other hands and stuff like that so yeah that's right
1: and there's tons of, right in, in this performance aspect so we when you talk about um can we can you talk let's talk so you set this up and then you co sort of go into these sort of four parts that you look at, and so can you just sort of briefly give us an overview of kind of how you have come up with these these four aspects and ideas and then maybe we can talk a little bit about each of them
2: yeah, I think like any academic they come they you kind of they come from not they don't come from thin air but they kind of come from they come from your research, but they can, you kind of gradually hone them down. So I think this was really what my PhD was like, hone these ideas down. So they became, and it becomes something that you can test on a load of different scenarios. So the first one was about hierarchies and breaking down. Again, that's the real kind of postmodern breaking down barriers kind of element. The second one was about process. So a lot of art schools in that period specifically talked and art in a, in general compared to music talks a lot about the process and being in the process and not worrying about the product um then about experimentation so again this is kind of where punk comes in and john cage came in That idea that you can just throw things up in the air and see what happens and that experimentation should be um, encouraged then finally relationships so the idea about individual relationships with tutors and students or in the relationships with bands relationships in groups relationships and scenes uh yeah which kind of leads on to what i'm what i'm looking at now and that so those yeah those four ideas hierarchies process experimentation and relationships was sort of my backbone broadscape backbone to, to blank canvas really
0: this episode is brought to you by sax.com at sax.com it's easy to find your new vibe
1: Right. So and you kind of um, in your second part, you talk about each of these. So I'd love to sort of delve into them a little more. And you start with, as you mentioned, the idea of sort of non-musicians and how and the role of non-musicians. So can you talk a little bit about that, especially as it kind of relates to what you're looking at as that art school and the punk um sort of new wave post-punk
2: yeah I think it was I mean it was it was like Gina Birch and for the raincoats and the slits that, that were really in a way kind of post-punk but they they brought that punk art school thing about it It was an emancipation they suddenly they, they, that realisation that you didn't need to have to play um, yeah so there was that kind of that element that you didn't need to be like a technical whiz you didn't need to be a kind of those, that kind of musician. And I mean, Eno had that, had that same idea that he brought. He, he tried, Eno tried not to be, he could play keyboard. He was, you know, he was in Roxy music, but his, his thing was about, okay, I'm just going to twiddle some knobs and he kind of untaught himself how to play. And it was that, again, it's that idea about conditioning and about creative experimentation I was just reading actually a bit again from the from the book just now, and it was a bit from the raincoats when they had. Um, oh, It was the oh, they were they, they, quite a famous drummer, but they they they'd, they'd written the piece before they'd had drums, and he had to try and follow what they that, what they'd done, and their and their whole thing wasn't about keeping in rhythm, was about having a natural rhythm, having a human almost like a feminine, they saw it as a feminine rhythm like not being too, they felt like male music was very, very regulated. So they wanted to have a kind of free mess about with the rhythm. So the drummer would have to kind of follow that around. And I think it's that kind of breaking down of barriers of not having to be a classical musician, which really, really informed so much pop music. You had the technology with synthesizers and that coming in, and then you had computers and, you know, DAWs and you can like record, you don't have to, you know, you can move things around that really kind of goes into what we see with pop music from that kind of point. You didn't, before then you, you know, you had to be a player really, but it was really that, that kind of like 76, 77 kind of punk explosion that brought the idea that you didn't, you didn't, anyone could be it. Anyone, it was, anyone could be a musician, you know, Stephen Mandler from Cabaret Voltaire said that there weren't actually that many people, at bands around, and if you could just get together with a few mates and kind of get some sort of sound going, you probably got signed, which is not the same anymore. It's completely, completely different now. It's completely saturated, which is quite interesting that there just weren't that many because it was this start of kind of everyone could play, everyone could give it a go. Um, Yeah.
1: Yeah, and I think you brought up the raincoats, but I did love like because it felt like it also allowed a lot more freedom, right? Freedom to do, to experiment, to just and, and, and to not have the fear that, well, I can't do this, so I'm not gonna go out there. Like we're just gonna go out there, we're gonna do it, and and it's gonna work it's going to work somehow, right? Something's gonna work.
2: Yeah. Yeah what I, I like what I like about that as well with with Gina from the raincoats is that she's she's like she's become really really popular at the moment and it's through that same having that same attitude she's basically taking that same attitude and it's still working and it's working for her now and I, I kind of it's nice to see that kind of still there really
1: yeah yes and I, I, as as you know any female like listening to women in you know music and women in punk the raincoats are you know always well they're clout, they're wonderful <laughs> <laughs> I
2: wasn't, you know when i was younger growing up i wasn't so aware of them i was more aware of bands i mean obviously the slits but and um but i was more aware of bands like magazine or kind of um stiff little fingers and buzzcocks and stuff like that so the raincoats i didn't really know at that period but obviously in retrospect you see how how vital they were that's why Kurt Cobain, you know, said they were like one of his most important bands for Nirvana, because I think it was that spirit that they that they that they had really.
1: Yes. Yes. They're one of those that you have to go hunt down. And uh, yes, it's nice to see that um, the records are being repressed and people are actually paying attention to them. Yeah. Um. So and you mentioned this before, but the second sort of one you look at is this idea of the process. And I did, you you talked about it, but I did like love um, when you were talking about the ways in which for a whole, and it sounds terrifying to me, but still that idea of like, for the whole term, you are going to be the opposite of what you are. And I was just imagining like, you know, having to be uh, pulled around in a trolley, or are trying to get something done, but not being able to ask anybody to do it for you. Um, So can you talk a little bit more about that too and what you saw with, and even maybe what, um, talking to some of these teachers, what this idea of really breaking this down and thinking of this process, what that really meant for them for creating uh, or making like creativity and creating art. Yeah, I
2: think it was... (sighs) It's really getting down, I mean, it is an art thing. I think this is when, in process, when the art and music kind of, you know, kind of crosses over, really. So for for Roy Ascot, it was about trying to kind of, almost having like an automated thing where you set up some kind of scenarios or some processes. And it also almost automatically creates um, the process of music or art or whatever comes from that. Um, again, it came from Joseph Boyce in, in 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 Germany as well, which kind of led into craft work and, and those kind of things. And it was really, I think it's a case of like sitting, almost like not worrying. I think musicians tended to be very much about, oh, it's got to be perfect. We're, getting, we're trying to get this product. We're trying to get this, you know, especially in classical music, it's about, you know, you're trying to get this very polished, finished kind of thing whereas there it was a case of you could sit in the process i mean some of them were saying like the, you wouldn't even need to finish a product by the end of your three years at university there was some really you know leeds was very radical and i mean what I, there's some brilliant stories from leeds in the, in the north of england in that um there was there was one, I think it was in the late 60s and they kind of, they, they some one of their tutors had the idea about giving the, the degrees before at the start instead of at the end. So I, I quite like that idea. So he kind of went around the students and he kind of worked out what kind of grade he would give them at the start. So that kind of left the three years open to concentrate on the process of creativity rather than worrying about what kind of mark or what kind of grade you would get. Um, I think, it, you know, for Eno, when he's in the studio, it's very much about that creative process and about how you can break down the, the different elements of it and look at that and how you pull things together. And it's that idea about collage or that Bowie would use. Um, yeah, so it's just it's kind of just sit, sit, having a concentration on that that sort of side of it, rather than worrying about what what the end goal is going to be.
1: Well, and, and that gets at that sort of fourth concept, too, that you talk about that idea of experimentation, right? And like and, and the need for that, I think um, somewhere it might have even been at the end of the chapter. Someone was saying that um, everyone it should be a compulsory thing to at least go to art school for a year. Right. To get at this. So can you talk a bit about like what that sort of the, le- the legacy and what was going on with experimentation and why that was so important even today?
2: Yeah, I mean, I mean, it came through, you know, through all those articles I talked about. I've said Malcolm McLaren is the famous one, you know, is talking about. Now, you know, you can be a be a wonder. It's better to be a, a wonderful failure than to, to not try at all. And I think it's that having that, like we t- said earlier, like having that kind of um, idea that you don't have that you don't have to, nothing. It doesn't have to be perfect, especially at that kind of age when you're like a, a you know a late teenager. At art, art schools provided that position in some instances not in not in all as by any means because there's some examples of, of you know very hardcore teachers who were very much driving students in certain ways it's just that it seemed to be the musicians that were successful that i talked to were the ones that were allowed to develop their craft have that time in the process to then play around with um with their ideas and and get them to fall apart you know and get them to not doesn't doesn't matter if they didn't work or you know just just seeing what happens for like i say throwing those things up in the air and just seeing seeing what landed really
1: well and it seemed and i think it built like what you're talking about also built into thinking about relationships right and in which is right because you talk about cohorts um You talk uh, about and even uh, like Helen Reddington talks about how even when she runs into ran into her teacher somewhere on the streets. Right. So this idea of like really building and keep And I think you talk about it, too, with the idea that you can go knock, (laughs) knock on Ascot's door and then it snowballs you. So the importance of this relationships and how you see this kind of playing out. Can you talk about that as well?
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like I said, from Black Mountain College or the Bauhaus, when you could kind of have your tutorial, you know, at any sort of point in time, it was very key that those relationships between Ascot and Eno, or between Eno and Gavin Bryars, or between Gina Birch and her students, or the tutors there, there was some very, very key key relationship even for the people you know Scritti Politti and um, Green for Scritti Politti didn't necessarily have the best relationship with his tutors but he was they were very kind of um, key in jury with um, Peter Blake so Peter you know there was there's just there was this very much kind of trust relationship built up again you don't there's it's almost like a, a lot of it was kind of like down the pub or it was after hours or it was you know so there there is that whole kind of I think when I first started teaching that's what it was like so you know end ended the I left university at the end of the 80s start of the 90s and that was that was what it was like at some places you could there wasn't because tutors and tutors and students were very close in age so you know there wasn't and there were you know there was a lot of that kind of young younger tutors that was very much encouraged in a lot of art schools. And it was almost like teaching each other and building up these ideas as they came through kind of culture. And, yeah, so you have those relationships between tutors. You have the relationships between groups of students. I like the way that some – I'm not sure we can do it nowadays that much, where tutors actually decided who they wanted on the course, depending on how those people would fit together. So, you know, I work in teams now where we try and work out how to – you know how to really fit those people together and they were doing that in cohorts especially at some of the london art schools they'd be like like Hornsey or like chelsea where they you know they very much talked about that idea about like picking and choosing who would fit with who and who wouldn't how you kind of build those those strong cohorts together again joseph boyce in, in germany was very keen on that yeah
1: so you have these four, right? So you kind of talk through them. And then you sort of your last part is really like thinking about, uh, you know, blank canvas um, and looking at these, but you also kind of talk about what happened, you know, right? You end in the 70s, but like what happened sort of after that and-, and how this influences. So can you talk a little bit about kind of that as well? And um, Sort of how you thought through all this, and and also what it means, right? So we've got this going on, but what does this, what does it mean for music and art, right? Like the big, like what does it mean for everything? But like for what you, when you are thinking, That's a
0: no, love, just kidding. No, but when, when,
1: like as you are, you know, as you are thinking, like what do you, like you know, for you, what was this, like what do you see this influences, you know, beyond this, like the other, the other way, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's. I mean, it's, it's a I suppose it's a, it's a feeling of hope as well. Sometimes, I, you know, it's some people said to me, oh, wasn't it just a period in time? This is just like this, you know, six and seventies. It's a period of time. Yes, of course it was. It was a period in time. But I think you can take these by breaking it down into those four areas. You can take it and you can utilize it and you can show it and you can kind of explore it. And I think I've tried to do that in 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 edge. I think you can I think it, it can challenge how you look at popular music education for a start. A lot of popular music education still relies on the kind of classical traditions of being able to play notes and being able to kind of read notation and have classical instrumentation training when we know that that's not really how a lot of pop music's made so it's trying to break that sort of side of it down and also just keeping that encouragement to people that 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 from all all areas to kind of like be able to play and to be able to experience what they can i think that because of the saturation that there is in the music industry that universities have a they have a place that maybe the record companies used to do in the old days so in the in the 70s the record companies or the 80s the record companies would have more money and time So bands could maybe stay in the process. They could maybe kind of develop their material a lot more. And I think going forward, this kind of the idea of blank canvas can be seen through universities, community groups outside of the record industry, really, and showing, you know, how you can actually have that space to kind of craft I don't think I don't think you have that space to craft your work like you used to. You know, bands used to go on for years. People used to think you know bands like the Damned or the Stranglers were like instant hits, but they, you know they're for years and years they've been kind of like hone it down because they could, they could afford to. They had the you know they had money that they could get from the state. They had they were you know at art school you got paid to go to art school. You didn't have to pay for your accommodation necessarily. It was squats. So I think it's understanding the importance about community, the importance of allowing musicians and artists the space where they don't, you know, the financial space, I think. So, yeah, I think that's, that's, if you're talking about my goal, it would be that to kind of go, you know, artists need that financial space and some countries and some places and some governments and some areas that is still the case, but it's, you know, it's it's rare. And I think it's, I do that in my research job, actually, looking at that idea about how the value of artists and how, you know, how they should be given that time and space.
1: Yeah, I just, I did, Um, I had recently done an interview on, uh, but... Uh, it made me years also made me think about like crash, like the bait, right? The collective and having that space and, and having those, those, the space to sort of perform and be artists and musicians and creating those communal living sites. And that we often, those often, yes, like you said, disappear, but we are seeing that we're seeing um, here in the U S lots of art houses, right? So people creating these like community spaces where you can come and be an exist and, and be artists and whether that's bringing that your art into the community or however that works, but we're seeing that coming back. And I think that that fits into some of what you're talking about here too. Well,
2: that's really good. I think, I think the UK is struggling with that at the moment. I think that like the house prices and the price of property in the UK is so high and the kind of pressure on kids financially is, is really high in the UK at the moment. And I think, you know, there's a real lack of community spaces. The community spaces are starting to vanish. You know, there's the new jazz scene in... Um, Emma Warren talks about a new jazz scene in, in London, the Total Refreshment Centre, and that I think that's being sold off. Um, grime in the UK comes from certain areas. Some of those community spaces are, are, in, are in danger with gentrification of those areas so that, you know... You, there's a lot of there's a lot of spaces that are in danger i think so it's trying to keep that the awareness of that mm-hmm. The i'm glad america's that that sounds quite positive <laughs>
1: well, in some place i mean let's place not let's not say I, but but i do see i think in these in right there's these collective spaces that are really trying to like how do we create these community art spaces or how do we create places for artists to do um and to come in and do that work and 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 i think when you get at with thinking about relationships and community is very important um, and making those connections
2: yeah yeah definitely definitely yeah my next my next research i'm doing is looking at the, what i talked about in the the second to last chapter was that idea of seniors so G, the idea about genius in communities so the idea about it's not about individuals but it's about collective kind of creativity collective genius and that really interests me in the scenes that i've been in and how that could be utilized to create a kind of manifesto for creativity that doesn't rely on the individual but relies on group i think you know bands and musicians are naturally groups they work in groups they work as bands they work with producers and record companies and whole groups of people and i think it's yeah I'm really interested in how the synergy between people and those, and those kind of groups. So,
1: so you answered like, that's usually my uh, final question, right? Like that, that idea, like it's perfect, right? Cause you like, what are you working on now? And if there's anything, so I guess, is there anything else that you're either working on or with your book, you kind of um, with Blank canvas that is going on that you want to promote? Like, what are those final words you want? Yeah, I
2: mean, it's, <laughs> Yeah, like I say, I mean, it is, it is going on. I, I'm really interested in sort of underrepresented groups and how, whether that's, a mu- you know, people that can't play music or, or haven't had the opportunity to do that and how that is seen through different scenes. I'm actually looking, I'm being a bit autobiographical as well, so I thought after after writing a book that kind of took my PhD, ripped it apart and had this kind of, it's, you know, my book's kind of academic but playful, I think, but it's still academic, you know, uh, but um but then my next book is really looking at I was in the kind of the Paris punk scene. I was in the Glasgow indie scene. I was in the London jungle scene. I was in the Bristol music scene. I've been around sort of jazz scenes in London as well. So I'm kind of looking at my position in those scenes and as, as not as a well-known producer or well-known musician, but being around. All these people, and I'm starting to interview all the people I was around to work out what it was about those specific scenes that kind of why did they why were they so vibrant or why are they vibrant? What is it about those scenes and scenes that aren't necessarily known so much? There's a scene in Bristol in the UK that's that been vibrant for years, and but people think about bands like Massive Attack and Portshead whereas people in Bristol don't, don't think about those bands. Is that there's a whole it's a completely weird story about places. I'm sure that's the same in so many places where, you know, a few bands made it at some point. But I'm interested in the kind of the, almost the scenes below that that have been going on for years and are very vibrant and what it is about those kind of scenes, really.
1: Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, it's been we could probably keep talking, but I hope right. Like it's been really great um talking with you. Um Simon Strange, who is the author of Blank Canvas, Art School Creativity from Punk to New Wave. Thanks for talking with me for new books in popular culture.
2: Thanks, Rebecca. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much.